like to recall to mind a song, a hymn that we sang earlier. We sang hymn number 197. third verse of this hymn says, Then should I see and feel and know what tis to rest from sin and woe. And all my soul be tuned to sing the praises due to Christ my King. Based on the prayer request that uh, mentioned earlier in based on the experience of life. There's just a lot of sorrow and heartache and problems that all of us encounter on a regular basis. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, there's a, there's a account that is given here. <clears throat> this account appears in uh, Matthew chapter 9, it appears here in Mark chapter 2, and it appears also in uh, Luke chapter 5. Mark chapter 2 is where we would like to uh, spend, I guess, most of our time today. Um, and what this is, is the healing uh, by Jesus, the healing uh, of a man with palsy, a man that could not walk. Uh, is brought to Jesus. The uh, first thing that Jesus says to him is, Thy sins are forgiven thee. The next thing that he says to him is, Take up thy bed and walk. You have three different classes of people that are looking on here. Uh, you have the man who is sick and can do nothing. Uh, you have his friends that bring him to Jesus seeing Jesus as the only uh, hope for his deliverance. And you have the Pharisees standing by, questioning and belittling everything that Christ does. If you read briefly, though, uh, I know we said that we would turn to Mark 2. I think I would like to just uh, cover Luke chapter 5 uh, real quick. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 26, after they had uh, seen Jesus heal the man on this day, and indeed, as Jesus spoke to some of the Pharisees, he, he sort of read their minds. He said, to, to the, he said unto them, why did you question in your hearts? This was nothing that was vocalized in his presence. He was able to read their thoughts and their mind. Um, and tell them exactly what they were thinking. This statement in verse 26, that we have seen strange things today, it's probably the understatement of the century when you're standing in the presence of Christ and he has done what he did here, and you get kind of a notion of what kind of man this is, what kind of person this is that's standing before them. We have seen strange things is a bit of an understatement. We've seen glorious things. We've seen mysterious things. Uh, we've seen things 
beyond our grasp, beyond our control, um, and beyond our ability. In Mark chapter 2, uh, as this man is brought to Jesus, the particular portion of this scripture uh, that kind of has the attention of my mind this morning, and really it's had my attention for uh, several days, is just this simple question in verse 9. This is Mark chapter 2 and verse 9. And Jesus says, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? That's a pretty enlightening question that Jesus says to us there. What, what's, what's the easier thing then? that y'all are amazed at? Or what is the harder thing that y'all are amazed at? What is the easier thing to have been done or what is the harder thing to have been done? It, it's interesting to the way that the Lord always forms a lot of his questions. Specifically, this question is, he wants to know what's the easiest thing to have been done. When I have a task that's in front of me, I always try and consider what's the hardest part of the task. What's the hardest thing that has to be done right now? And what's the easiest way to do the hardest thing? It, you know, they said before, if you want to know the easiest way to do something, ask a lazy man. I, I concur with that. Jesus looks at us and he says, what's the easiest thing in your life to do? It'd be easier for us just to look at somebody and say, thy sins be forgiven thee. Whether we mean it or not, that's the easiest thing to do. It's the easier thing in our life to say to someone, thy sins be forgiven thee, whether it's true or not. There are a lot of people listening to the news and listening to commentators and people of that nature in the world today, and they're trying to be comforted by the words of the media. And oftentimes their words are empty words. They're really meaningless. Uh, there was a specific time in the book of Isaiah wherein the Lord was angry at some prophets who said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. They, they declared this is a peaceful situation, and really there is no peace. The easier thing, though, for us is to just utter words that have no meaning. The hardest thing for us is to actually accomplish something in life that really matters. I got to thinking, you know, as I'm, as I'm contemplating this verse, specifically this week, you know, if I'm standing, if I am standing in the middle of nowhere, if I'm standing in the middle of a desert, I would consider myself in a pretty uh, hopeless situation. I'm standing in the, if I just dropped you in the middle of the desert, what's the first thing that you would do? Start walking? Which direction? I mean, it's as far as you can see. It's nothing but sand and sun. I'm pretty sure along the way you're going to be hot, tired, and hungry. You're out here in the middle of the desert. Where's your food going to come from? Where's your water going to come from? Here we were this past week standing on the beach at the Gulf of Mexico and there's a vast gulf of water out there. 
Not so sure I'd want to go out there and grab a big cup of it and drink it. How about y'all? Uh, I mean, I'm sure that we could boil it and, you know, distill some good out of it. But, you know, even in front of me, here is this great gulf of water. But what am I going to do with it? By myself. I'm, you're, talking, you're standing here by yourself. I'm sure there's fish in the ocean. How are you going to catch it? put myself in the horrible situation, don't I? Hopeless and helpless, in great need, and there's nothing I can do about it. And then along comes this individual. Along comes this individual who uh, interacts with a man who indeed himself is in a hopeless and helpless situation. Let's back up and read just a little bit. It says here in Mark chapter in verse 3 and they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four notice the term born there is B-O-R-N-E so that term born there actually means carried he's carried by four friends and when they could not come nigh unto him that is unto Jesus for the press they uncovered the roof where he was And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, to start with, that's probably not what they were looking for. And yet that's what Jesus ultimately realizes is the greatest gift to any of us. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Bible doesn't tell us what caused this man to be sick of the palsy. It doesn't tell us why this affliction is on this individual. Um, however, I do know that when we read in John chapter 5, there was another man who was uh, sick at a hospital. Um, he laid there 38 years, I believe it was. And Jesus come unto him and said, Would thou be made whole? The man says, I, I would, but... I have nobody to help me. In this particular hospital in in John 5, there was a pool of water that laid in the middle of it and in a particular particular or specific season, an angel would come down and trouble the water and whoever would make it into the water first would be made whole. He says, I'm struggling and I try and get down there and, and just about the time I get there, someone gets in there first and they're healed ahead of me. I have no one to help me. And Jesus, again, at this time, heals a man and says, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. But he says to him an interesting phrase, Go and sin no more in John 5. He says, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. So uh, the idea that's given to us in John 5 is that that man's affliction is because of something he did. His friends dared him to do something dumb. And he says, yeah, I'll watch this. Let's put this on the Internet. I'll bet I get a lot of shares on YouTube and Facebook. If y'all watch this. Yeah, watch me wind up in the hospital. That's, that's what they did. They watched him wind up. And, and we'll have to admit a lot of times in our own life, some of the afflictions and detriments that we have suffered in life have been our own faults and failures. They've been our own mistakes. They've been things that we have done 
to ourselves. And so Jesus said to him, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. I don't know the reason in Mark 2 that the man is the way that he is. And isn't it interesting as you study the life of those that Jesus healed, um, oftentimes people are trying to figure out the main reason that this occurred. There's the man that's born blind, I believe in John 8, and they asked the Lord, who did sin that this man was born blind? Him or his parents, which is, as a parent, that's always a question we ask ourselves. What did I do wrong that my children are the way that they are? My mama always told me when I was growing up that your day is coming and you're going to pay for your raising. I've got four sons, and there was no way I was this bad. I don't care what you say. I wasn't this bad. Listening? But maybe I was. Maybe I was the hound of hell worse than four little boys on a sugar ride. I don't know. Maybe. But they want to know who was, who's the cause of this. Did, did his parents sin? Or did he sin that he was born blind? And that's, that's kind of a weird question in and of itself. How can a man sin before he's even born? Unless you're also dealing with a generation that's half into reincarnation and they think that there's some past that he has that's catching up with him now. And Jesus says, this is not about your sin. It's not about his parents' sin. It's not about the man. He, he really says, he says, this is for the glory of God. He said that same thing, I believe, in John chapter 11 when they said, the one whom thou lovest is sick, Lazarus. And he said that Lazarus is not dead, but he sleepeth. And he pointed to him that I will go and raise him out of his sleep. And all for what? The glory of God. He's constantly pointing us away from ourselves and away from our troubles and away from our problems to one central source of hope, God himself. Now, with, within this passage, I guess this passage, I guess maybe this is one of those errors in the Bible. What? Yeah, it's. There's got to be an error in the Bible right here, right? Because the Bible here says that when Jesus saw the faith of his friends, he healed the man that was sick. That's got to be wrong. Because the man on TV told me, I didn't have enough faith, so I wasn't healed. You get it? That charlatan on TV telling you, well, your problems is because you don't have enough faith. Um, this man is not in a position to do anything about his sickness. This man is not in a position to do anything about what is wrong with him. Jesus looks around at the faith of his friends. And he says to the one, thy sins be forgiven thee. He says here in verse 6, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? 
That is a true statement. That there's no one that can forgive your sins but God only. Now, I can, you and I can have a disagreement. Jerry can do something dumb and really offend me, which he's never done, right? And he and I can talk about it, and I can say, you know what? I'm not going to let this. I'm not going to let this destroy our friendship. I'm not going to let this bother us. We're going. We're going to get past this, and we're going to go on. And I can I can forgive the altercation at that moment, but I cannot change the fact of who he is and what he's done. Nor can he change the fact of what I might do to offend y'all. Only God can change the fact of who I am and what I've done. Only God can change who you are and what you have done. Now, the idea of forgive and forget also really kind of needs to be a principle that is applied in our lives on a regular basis. People say that you're supposed to forgive and you're supposed to forget. I'll forgive you and you live in such a manner that I forget what you've done. How about that? See, they think that's just one-sided on the forgiveness aspect. I'll forgive you. Now, how about you live in such a manner that I forget what you did? Not a whole lot. Of, not a whole lot of people want to cover that second part, do they? They they all want it on be first-handed, right? Hmm. Let's move on. And he said, why did this man speak blasphemies? In verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? I can look at you and kind of think I know what you're thinking. Jesus looks at you and knows what you're thinking. I don't, I don't know if that's terrifying or relieving. I guess it depends on what you're thinking. I guess it does kind of remind us a little bit of what's written in Romans 8 when Paul says those things that we know not what to pray for are uttered to the Lord. The Holy Spirit then takes those things and, and relays them to God with sounds and grunts and utterings that cannot be uttered. There, there, is, there is a language that is spoken without words. And if you don't know that that's true, you've never seen somebody weep. You've never seen somebody sob over some sorrowful situation in their life. There is a language that indeed is spoken without words. Of course, I guess you've also never seen somebody just shout for glory and hallelujah. In a wonderful situation. A lot of things have, have occurred up to this point in, in this man's life and in this man's uh, process of healing. You find the hindrances that were <clears throat> early on in the chapter. His friends want to bring him to where Jesus is, but there's so many people crowding in the door, he can't get to it. I don't know about y'all, but it seems like just Hindrances are a way of life for us. When Jesus said, which is easier, to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say unto a man, take up thy bed and walk, 
I have to look at this and I have to think, you know, this is another one of those scriptures in the Bible that Isaiah had reference to possibly when he's, when he's speaking of God and he says, God says, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above thy ways. And it, it, it just seems to me a lot of times when we compare ourselves to the Lord of glory, his ways are not our ways. And I don't think that you could have any more polar opposites than the ways of Christ versus the ways of man. You know, when, when Solomon wrote in Proverbs, he says, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. You know, he's laying out for us here that in life you're going to have ideas. In, in, in life you're going to have a thought process and you think you've reasoned this out to take into account every bad thing that could happen. But the devil's trickier than you are. He's wiser than you are. And if we're not careful, there will be some area that we haven't thought about. We think we've got this right. I mean, did you did you read in the paper here recently where they said that this $15 an hour wage has backfired? Surprise? I'm sorry, you know. Uh, inflation has caused things to just go out the roof. So while employers are now begging people to come back to work while the government paid them, see, I, I think it's planned, but that's I don't have my hat with me today. But, you know, the government pays enough people to stay home and not work, and now employers don't have enough people to work. So now instead of just letting the market dictate $15 an hour, employers are now forced to put out a higher wage. Oh, wait a minute. And now I've got to cover that $15 an hour with $30 hamburgers, you know, things of that nature. And and economists are saying, wow, it's really kind of backfired on us. Surprise? There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the ends thereof are, are the ways of death. Hindrances come to us constantly in life. But here are his friends that though they are hindered, they are not deterred. Um... There are some people in life who are who are easily deterred. The least little thing goes wrong. And they are easily deterred. They throw their hands up and they quit and they go do something else. Here Jesus just speaks a word. And something miraculous takes place. When he asked me, which is easier, to say something or to do something? To me, it's easier to say something. Until you want to stop and realize what you're trying to accomplish when you say what you say. You can invite somebody to come to church. You can invite a hundred people to come to church. Maybe one of them will come. I've filled this pulpit now for nearly 20 years. People have come and people have gone. 
We'd like to be twice as big. I'm glad we're not half as small. We'd like to be twice as big as we are. I'm just glad we're not half as small as we are. Um, and, and you just, you pray your heart out. You come in here, you sing your heart out. I try and attempt to preach half my heart out every Sunday morning. And what happens? A few people come, a few people go. Growth is slow. Accomplishments are slow. If you don't think accomplishments are slow, go on a diet and see how well that works. I, for one, am against diets. Diets are for losers. But that's beside the point. Um, I can say everything I think is right to say on Sunday morning and people say that's a wonderful sermon and out the door they go. Not necessarily y'all that are here, but we've had visitors that come in that's wonderful and then out they go somewhere else. But I guarantee you that I could take the next, oh, 10 or 15 seconds and say a bunch of things that are wrong and a bunch of things that are hurtful. A few things that may be vulgar and some things that are vile. And every ounce of accomplishment or every ounce of growth we've ever tried to have would be stopped right then. And next Sunday, I don't even know if I'd be here. And the church would be silent as a tomb. Which is easier? To say something or do something? Depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Because everything that you've ever tried to work for in life, everything you've ever tried to accomplish in life, everything you've ever tried to instill in your children in your life can in a moment, by one wrong word, be undone and lost forever. And yet Paul realized even himself. He said in Romans chapter 7, he said, it's hard for me to find in myself any good thing, he says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For that which I would want to do, I cannot find within me. So I remember uh, hearing Elder, Elder Joe Holder say one time that back in the 80s and, and late 70s when abortion was a great big issue uh, in America, it's first coming on the scene in 1973, that most of our preachers preached against it because it needed to be preached against. It, it needed to be talked against because it's a heinous thing. It's a heinous act. And so, you know, preachers fill the pulpits and they, they beat down abortion and they talk about the sin that it is. And everything we said was right. And everything we still say today is right. The one thing, though, that does the most damage that we often forget is the person sitting in the congregation who has done this. And they realize it's wrong also. And we forget to speak about the forgiveness of God. And they go out thinking there's no hope for their situation. But, you know, 
There was no intent to forget that. There was no intent to forget to speak about the goodness and forgiveness of God. They weren't battling that. They were, they were battling the sin itself, which is a fight that needs to be fought. That we oftentimes forget, though, in the midst of a war, there's also a hospital for those who've been caught by the shrapnel and the debris of the two fighting sides. And here in the middle of life, there is Jesus, the great physician, who stands in this house and says to them, which is easier to say something or to do something. A whole lot easier to do something. And yet to Jesus, the Lord, the creator of this universe now stood in the midst of this room. The one who created all things. See, man is often confused. He's often really confused about himself. I cannot create anything. You say, well, you've invented a thing. Or Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. God put a great big light bulb out there in the universe. All he did was copy what God himself put out there in the universe to start with. Or man, man invented the outboard motor. Hook it to your boat and right on through the water. And yet down in the depths of the sea are little creatures with tails that spin just like an outboard motor does. God put that down there. What did we do? Copied it. That's all that we did. Somebody comes out with a new hat design or a new dress design and they say, this is his creation. It is not his creation. All we can do is take what's there and rearrange it. Whoever created this pulpit, whoever created this table that's out here in front of us, all they did was take a tree and rearrange it. God himself put the tree out there. We redesigned it. He is the chief creator. He is the chief designer. He is the one who can look at the man and know exactly what's wrong with him and know exactly what he needs. And what's really marvelous about this situation is I don't, I don't know if the man was born this way or not. I am, I am puzzled about that. Because, because his situation in the beginning is either going to give credence to what I'm fixing to say or it's going to nullify it. Because if he was born not being able to walk, it's an even greater miracle that the man got up and did something he's never done before. Anybody who's ever raised a child knows that walking is a hard deal for the child. You crawl, you you try and stand, you attempt to walk, and you fall. It is a process that takes not near as long as it ought to. But this man, in the presence of Christ, Jesus just simply says, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. If you've ever seen anybody who's been afflicted with an inability to walk, they have no muscle strength in their legs. As a matter of fact, a lot of times their legs have withered to a point that they don't match the rest of their body. And, and yet Jesus comes along and just says, just do it. 
kind of makes me a little upset about that, really, sometimes. Because I, what? Think about this. It's easier for us to tell somebody to do something, isn't it? Than it is to show somebody how to do something. It's real easy for me to tell somebody what to do. It's a whole lot harder for me to explain to them how to do something and assist them in the process. I think the education system in America could learn a lot from that. You know, when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, we had shop in junior high school. We made things. We repaired lawnmowers and we made a magazine rack. In junior high school, do they still have shop class nowadays? In some places they do. In the majority of places, who knows? Do they have home economics nowadays where they teach the ladies to cook and sew and clean? Do they have that in, huh? Culinary. Well, excuse me. Sorry about that. They have culinary classes in high school, junior high? Well, that's good for some places. It's a lot easier to tell somebody just to do something than it is to be able to show them how to do it. Jesus just right here fixes every bit of that. And he says to the man, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now, one of the reasons that he lays out for them that this whole event has occurred and it has occurred in the process uh, that it has is when he says to them, in, uh, which is easier, he answers the question in verse 10, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. He's laid out this situation here for everybody who is seeing to understand there's somebody greater here than you've ever seen. Uh, that statement, greater than, appears a number of times, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament. Um, Jesus talks about how great the temple was and how great Solomon was, but he reminded them, behold, a greater than Solomon is standing in the midst of you. Uh, John the Baptist was a great person. He says, behold, John, a greater than John the Baptist stands before you. Whatever you can think of, uh, as a matter of fact, even Paul, when he addressed the Hebrew nation in the book of Hebrews, beginning with chapter 1, uh, that Hebrew nation, they adored their forefathers. Many of them adored angels. They adored the, the things of the covenant. He said, there, there's one greater than angels. There's one greater than our forefathers. There's one greater than, than anything in the Old Testament that stood before you, and His name was Jesus Christ. He says to them, so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, that power that only belongs to God, 
so that you know I have that same power and really am God in your midst. I'll show you one greater than that. And I'll look at this man and tell him to do something he's never done before and tell him to do something you yourself cannot tell him to do. And that's arise, take up thy bed. I, I can't I can't magnify, I guess, enough in my own life how Jesus is stressing to us and to me and to you that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There was a man that came to Jesus one time and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is Matthew nineteen. And Jesus says, Well, you know the commandments. Keep them all and you'll live. The man says, oh, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And Jesus says to him, one thing thou lackest, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. He doesn't tell the man to, to sell everything he has and then from that give everything to the poor. He says, just go and sell your great possessions and out of that begin to give to the poor then. And it says the man went away sorrowful. For he had great riches. He possessed a lot of things in life. He possessed a lot of things in life that other people valued and valued him because of his things. Somebody drives down the street. As a matter of fact, when we were we were sitting at a restaurant uh, Thursday, Friday night, one day this week, and a thirty nine Buick rolled by. Now, to many of y'all, I might as well have said five butter beans rolled down the street. You could care less. But a 39 Buick, to me, looked really nice. And I'm, I'm pulling out my phone trying to get a picture of the car, and it just rolls on down the road. I don't know who was driving it. Don't know a thing about the person. If I'd have met the person on the street, I wouldn't be able to pick them out of one person lineup. What I liked about them was their car. You ever dated somebody because of their car? I know somebody here has. Uh, but the car's not gone. I mean, the car is gone, right? You don't have the car anymore, right? Why is she still married to you? You must be a really nice person. Um, this, this man had many things. And I think in life, I don't think in life, I know in life. We are conditioned through TV and through media to value the things that people have. You know, Robin Leach did that uh, back in the 80s. You know, lifestyles, the rich and famous. Let's go over here and look at somebody's big gigantic mansion and their great 80-foot yacht that they have and their 47 cars in the garage that you'll never possess. And let's drool over all these things. And yet, they in Hollywood can't even keep their own marriages together. Kind of gives you the idea that they're not really pleasant people to be around, probably. And here y'all are. Broke as a limb off a tree. 
marriage still together and you love one another. Half of you got happy, smiling kids, and the rest of you got unhappy, smiling kids. Uh, and, and Jesus said to the man, he said, go, go and sell that, that thou hast. Give to the poor. Think beyond yourself. And the man went away sorrowful, for he had great riches. Now, if the Bible had not told us that Jesus loved this individual, uh, we'd probably put him in a pretty hopeless situation. But because the love of Christ overcomes even the worst of our sin. The disciples, though, turned and looked at one another and they said, well, if, if this rich man can't be saved, then, then who can be saved? Because their idea was based on, you know, 4,000 years of Old Testament history. God blessed Abraham to become a father of nations. God blessed Abraham and even Lot to the point that, that there wasn't enough room where they were all standing for the herdmen of Abraham and the herdmen of Lot, and they had to kind of separate their families a little bit too close together. It wasn't the fact it was overpopulation. It was the fact that the population was standing in the same spot. We don't have an overpopulation of the earth. We have a problem that the majority of the population is standing in the same spot. And the louder my neighbors get, the more acreage I want in the middle of nowhere. That's really where it comes down to. Once my neighbors are quiet, I'm like, okay, we can live here a while. And then, you know, the radios, evidently they think I want to listen to something. And they want to share it with all of us. And I'm like, I want to be out in the middle of nowhere. We don't have an overpopulation problem. We have a population in the same spot problem. And so here's Abraham and Lot. But see, they've been blessed by God. And isn't that sort of a quandary? Isn't that a predicament we get into? is that God blesses us to be something that we're not, and we still don't know what to do with what God's given us. God blesses us beyond measure to prosper and have more than we could ever have imagined, and Abraham and Lot still didn't know what to do with it. Lot pitches his tents towards the city of Sodom, and Abraham goes out here to the mountaintop, but yet they're still blessed of God in a wealthy standpoint. Um... Isaac is blessed the same. Uh, uh, Jacob is blessed the same. Oh, Ishmael as well was blessed the same of God. People drive down the street with their cars and the license plate says blessed, blessed, blessed of God. I remind you that Ishmael was also blessed. Uh, there's something greater than being blessed on this earth. It's being blessed by God in Christ in heavenly places. That's a blessing that nothing on this earth can ever replace. Solomon, wise king. A wise king and a preacher, by the way. I don't, I don't think people have ever really considered this. That when people stand and holler and scream that the church should stay out of politics... David the king wrote half the Psalms. 
Solomon the king wrote some of the other Psalms and the Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. If Christians are to stay out of politics, why are there so many Christians in politics in the Bible? If there's not some good people in high places, those high places get even darker and murkier than what they are now. People look at the world around them and they say, oh, this world's a disastrous place. This world's a a terrible place. Who would really want to get married and bring children into a mess like this? Well, if you don't get married and bring good children into a mess like this, who's going to clean up the mess? The rats? No, they like the mess. Human beings are near knee-jerk is what they are. Something happens and they knee-jerk a reaction without pausing and stopping to consider what is occurring. I I think it's just reasonable. Given the, the depravity of human beings, for all of us to kind of stand back and say, you want me to get a what in my arm? What's in it? What are you doing to me? That's all I, all I want to know is what this is. And then somebody like, well, you're just being, you're just being obstinate and you're just being a conspiracy nut. And you know what? I'm sorry. I just thought I'd ask a question. People are knee-jerk. And so here these disciples are like, wow, this, this can't be. Solomon was rich. Abraham was rich. And now we've got this rich young ruler who doesn't want to follow. If, if he can't be saved, then who can? Because we're not blessed by God because we don't have an abundance of earthly things. That, that's, see their reasoning? We're not blessed of God because we don't have an abundance of earthly things. Who then can be saved? And Jesus looks at them and he destroys the entire pillar of Armenian salvation by works in one statement. He says, with men, this is impossible. It is impossible to put before a man a situation so simple to convince him to save himself. Salvation is not that the man changed his mind. Salvation is that God changed his heart. And until God changes a man's heart, salvation will never occur. With man, this is impossible. But Jesus concluded that statement there in Matthew 19. It's about verse 26. He says, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Not only that man's deliverance from sin and hell is possible with God. But this man in Mark 2's deliverance from affliction and heartache in this life is also possible with God. But then I stop and think and I think, well, there have been plenty of times that, that we've seen people Come and go. 
Brother Bill Compton, who was a member here many years, had heart trouble, went into the doctor for open heart surgery, went to the hospital for open heart surgery, never came out. He had adverse effect to, to the uh, anesthesia they gave him. It just kind of went downhill from there. And you say, you know, was our faith not strong enough? Did we not pray enough for Brother Bill? We prayed every Sunday for him. We had special prayer every Sunday for him. We prayed for Cenas while he was in the hospital. We prayed for Sister Jody one time, anointed her with oil. And for a time frame, her cancer was in remission. It was put away, but it came back. And you think, was our faith not strong enough? I would say this, that I think that sometimes we are so earthly minded that we can't see the forest for the trees. That we wanted these people to be restored back to their health, to be with us, so that we could be with them and that they would make us happy and that we would not miss them here on this earth. And sometimes we have to stand back and we have to realize God healed them when he took them to heaven in a way they'll never need to be healed again. For this man to rise and take up his bed and walk, the Bible doesn't tell us where he walked from this standpoint. You ever thought about that? The man in John 8 who was cured of his blindness, the Bible doesn't tell us then what his eyes saw. The deaf that had their hearing restored to them in the Bible doesn't tell us then what they went and listened to. Get the picture? The eyes, I've seen things I don't want to see and seen things I shouldn't see. With the ears, I've heard things that I would not want to hear. And I've listened to things that I shouldn't be listening to. And with my feet, I've walked in many errant ways. His ways are not my ways. And a thousand times, I think I've told God, I'm sorry, I won't ever do that again. And a thousand and one times, I've said to God, I'm sorry, I won't ever do that again. And a thousand and two times I've said to God, you know what I've said? Have you said the same thing? I'm sorry. I won't ever do that again. It's interesting, though, to realize that even in the midst of the miracles of Christ, He still performs these miracles even though the outcome to the person involved, could be disastrous. You say, well, how is that? Well, I've just explained it. With the strength that God gave him to rise and walk, you just ask yourself, what did he do with that strength? With the feet that God enabled to move, what did he do with those feet? Did he walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake? Or did he walk up and kick his brother when his brother did something wrong? You ever notice how you didn't have to teach your children how to sin? 
You know, we, 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 we never had to sit down uh, at the couch in the living room and say, now, uh, this is how you pull your brother's hair, uh, and this is how you bite your sister, uh, and this is how you go around and punch yourself and then scream and blame it on everybody else in the house. We, we never had to do any of that. It was always, who did this? We had to convince them and teach them how to say what was right. Of course, if your house is like my house, if your house is like my house, who did it? Nobody. Nobody lives in your house. Nobody lives in my house because nobody's the one that does everything. Amen. But you think about this, if, if, if the end result of something dictated how God operated in the life of people, He wouldn't operate in anybody's life. He gave Solomon wisdom and He gave suffering. And with that, he says, because you've not asked for riches, I'll give you riches. And what did Solomon do with his riches? Destroyed his life. Built one of the largest temples ever built. It was unnecessary. And it was a financial economic tax burden on the nation of Israel. Should God have not blessed Solomon then, foreseeing what Solomon would do with his blessing? It's not God's fault that He blessed me. It's always my fault that I cannot see what rightly to do with what God has given me. Which proves that God is all the more gracious to those of us that don't deserve it. That we said earlier that everything I've ever tried to work for, everything I've tried to accomplish, and with an ill-spoken word, in one moment, be lost and torn down. But you know, Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is another moment that will occur. He said in the moment, and in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, a twinkling of an eye is, is faster than you can blink. For the Lord God of glory shall at the last day say unto those dead bodies in the grave, Arise. Walk. He shall call us all home one day. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. And when I get there, and when you get there, as the song said, then should I see and feel and know what tis to rest in sin and woe. And all my soul be tuned to sing praises due Christ my God. God bless us all.